0: <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> Okay, very good. <laughs>
1: Today, we're going to talk about some Nebraska issues. I'm April. I'm here with Melody and Stephanie's back. Today, we our guest will be Dr. Trish Wanchhill to talk COVID-19 and public health. Let's get started.
0: How's it going, folks? I have to say, I am so glad that we are finally recording this pod regularly again. I was a little nervous when we came back last week, but I just feel like I don't know like I just like feel so energized that we're back and we're talking about Nebraska issues and Mm -hmm. you know I'm just really excited I'm so glad to be back here with you and Stephanie you weren't here last week
2: hey ladies we missed you missed you too I'm glad to be back
0: (laughs) okay so uh how are you feeling Stephanie what's going on with you
2: I'm feeling well. Last week I was out because my mom decided it was a good time to fall and break her ankle, but she's (sighs) repaired and safely out of the hospital. So just the regular chaos of, I'm sure we're all working from home, taking care of kids from home and trying to be as safe as possible.
0: Yeah.
1: April, how are you doing? What's going on? I'm I'm all right. You know, like everyone else, kind of a roller coaster. (laughs) There's minutes when you're like... It's isn't so bad. It's beautiful out. Mm-hmm. It's night after dinner, I'm sitting in the hammock and then you're like, I gotta figure out how to go, go to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, you're like...
0: There is some real dissonance. Out? Yeah. There is like, some real dissonance between the beauty of spring and the wonderfulness of the weather and just like everything feels so normal except then you're nothing. like, hold on, I have to put my kid on a Zoom call for school. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> What? What is happening right now? Um, Okay. Well, I wanted to tell you guys, have you... So today is Sunday, May 3rd. That's when we're recording. Did you see the Twitter drama that went down with Nebraska Crossing? Because they were reopening? Yeah. Well, so they've had a mostly dormant Twitter account. And um, I think it's worth noting, and we talked about this on the Seeing Red uh, blog... But the owner of Nebraska Crossing is a massive Pete Ricketts donor,
1: mm-hmm. President
0: Trump donor, and GOP donor. Sounds and he doesn't like a even live fascist. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> sure he. <is. laughs> that seems likely. Um, but he doesn't even live here, so he definitely does not. Where does care. he live? He lives in Texas.
1: Why does he own a shopping mall in Nebraska?
0: Well, Texas is turning blue. So, you know, all these red fools have to find somewhere to ruin. Gross. <laughs> I know. I know. It's totally gross. Well, so he wants to be first in the nation to reopen a previously closed shopping mall. And, and you know, Nebraska gets to be that shopping mall. So they put out some celebratory tweet about reopening, and it did not go well. They, Where they ended just up dragged. <laughs> Yes. And they ended up blocking Aaliyah Conley from the Omaha World Herald. She actually went there last week to just kind of check out their soft opening, like the workers Mm -hmm. dusting off all the shelves and stuff. And they, they kicked her out of the mall. They didn't want any press coverage at all. They wanted it all happening in secret. And then I saw a sports writer from the Omaha World Herald got blocked. I'm not sure how he got blocked. He's a sports writer. So, what could he have been covering? But um, like, And Twitter then blocked? they blocked seeing red. They blocked us on yeah. Twitter? All, all oh, the man. big news
2: outlets.
1: <laughs> We've made it.
2: It's really, we are on Yay. par with the Omaha
0: World Herald. <laughs> pretty much yeah so then um so then after blocking everybody uh seeing red of course just like kept like tweeting about them because you know that's what you do and they have now taken down their twitter account like they deleted it oh my god that's (laughs) crazy that's called a dirty delete absolutely <laughs> So i guess they're not as proud of their reopening as they attribute they just don't care they just want the money they don't they're but yeah i just anyway i couldn't believe it i could not believe uh they blocked press they banned press from the premises and now they're just deleting social media mm-hmm. i mean what kind of like, a nightmare company is who
1: this? even advised them to block the press whose idea was that what kind of moron like opens up a store where you need people to buy stuff supposedly and then is like no we don't want amy talking
0: about it how do you not at least try to spin it god you know oh. i would hope like companies like there's an outlet carter's that caters hope, like, to babies yeah. and families gosh bagosh they should be speaking up they have the economic power to actually make a difference in places like this to people mm-hmm. like that guy what's his name ron yates
1: Rod maybe yicks. that's what they're trying to hide—is that a lot of stores didn't open and that a lot of people weren't coming or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe that is. Like it
0: looks bad. Oh my gosh! Well, Kelly, I well, could like rail. We get on like them. a Girl
1: Scout badge for that.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. We should all get. You know, I used to work at the Girl Scouts for a long time. Uh, I love Girl Scout badges. Me too. I think we should. We should definitely get. <gasps> Stephanie, you were a leader, weren't you? A Girl Scout leader. Sure. For a very,
2: very long time.
0: Aww. Mm-hmm. I got Ten my gold years. award my senior year
1: of high school. I have yeah. a Girl Scout. This was her first year. It's not been awesome <laughs> not since, you mouth. know. Oh. Not so great oh. right now. <laughs> we like sold all the Girl Scout
0: cookies and then life went into lockdown. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah, my, I had my son do Cub Scouts last year. And I was so excited because I am such a Scout nerd. And then he just hated it. He hated it. And like it was such a wonderful little den. The all the parents were really nice. The boys were really nice. It was really fun. But he just he wasn't cut out for it. And so my Cub Scout dreams were dashed.
2: It was really a bummer. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> bummer. Kind of like Nebraska Nebraska Crossing dreams of having a functioning Twitter. It's over.
3: <laughs> How many dreams have been crushed? <laughs>
2: The, the real dreams that are being crushed are those poor people that are getting called into work at stores that shouldn't be open um, mm-hmm. so that so that people can make big money because it's not the people making 10 and $12 an hour.
3: Absolutely. And
1: well, then they like to Senator, risk their own health.
2: Right. like
3: Senator Vargas, who have actually personally felt the Very, really terrible. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, that's kind of a good segue into public health. April, do you want to introduce our guest of the pod? Sure. Uh, We are pleased to welcome back
1: a return guest visitor to the pod, Dr. Trish Mm -hmm. Wanchill. She's a medical sociologist. And most recently, she wrote um, on the Seeing Red blog um, an article called "The Nebraska Coronavirus Fairy Tale," which was shared over two thousand times. Dang, two thousand! Welcome times to the pod, lot. Trish.
3: Thank you, thank you all for having me. I wish it was under better circumstances. <laughs> no doubt. I'm happy to share and to talk about. Uh, My research is to talk about COVID-19 in Nebraska and and what we're looking, what we've been experiencing and and what the future looks like, so.
0: Can you tell me, so we're all on the same page, like what is a medical sociologist? And can I be a medical sociologist if I read enough articles on Facebook?
3: (laughs) (laughs) The answer to that is no. (laughs) It takes many years of schooling. uh, and um, so I'm a, a sociologist by training, uh, and I chose to focus on health and quantitative methods. And I actually have a graduate certificate on policy analysis and health. And so took a lot of courses in epidemiology, uh, looking at chronic diseases, infectious diseases, looking at the prevalence in society, looking at inequality, um, so uh, disparities in health, uh, depending on people's social class or the racial ethnic background. Um, and, uh, it took a long time for me to earn this degree and, uh, you know, you're not going to get that from Facebook, but you know, um, I hope that, uh, other epidemiologists and medical sociologists are communicating well with the public, because even though you might not be able to get that degree online, <laughs> um, we should be able to make sure that public health messages are, are understandable to the broader public, to the people who don't have PhDs or people who are working on the front lines. Um, so that's what I try and do as well. It's just science
2: communication. Awesome. Right. So, How do you think the communication's going right now, Trish?
3: Uh, it sounds so great.
2: <laughs>
3: Doctor, I know April's a big fan. Uh, Dr. Rahner uh, is yep. doing a big job, I think, of communicating science on YouTube. Uh,
0: Dr. Dr. Ronner, for anyone who doesn't know, is a pediatrician in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's part of every public health initiative happening at the municipal level, probably some at the state level, and he yes. is on the school board of Lincoln Public Schools. He is my representative. I'm so proud. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of
1: a better time to have a doctor on mm-hmm. the school board, and I I think that's a huge reason why our particular community has gotten it right with
3: mm-hmm.
1: schools yeah. at the very least. The yeah, I part. mean,
3: he, he's done a great job because, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't very easy to understand. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, exponential growth. It's something that's actually really abstract and hard to sort of picture what that might look like. And I think his visuals are great. And I think he's, he would agree with me that, you know, one of the one of the things that have been lacking in Nebraska, and and I think I would say in the United States as a whole, though I don't live in other states, um, is just a unified message, a a unified Mm -hmm. front, people coming, uh, our leaders coming together from, it doesn't matter what party they're from, just Mm -hmm. coming together for the public good and agreeing on public health measures that are um, informed by science and by experts and then communicating them to the public in an easy to understand way. It's not, it's pretty hard to do. Scientists really struggle with this, um, but that's what our leaders are for. And and uh, I think that it's really been lacking this unified message in Nebraska
0: for sure. One thing that, so we have Dr. Bob Bronner in Lincoln's school board, which is great. And then our other population center is Omaha, in the state of Nebraska, where we have the most people, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but the mayor of Omaha, uh, Jean Stothert, is a nurse. She graduated from Seattle Pacific University. She was 12 years as a critical care nurse, Mm. and then she was the head nurse at St. Louis University. That's
3: That's a real positive for sure. That's a real positive. I mean, it, it comes back to something I think I missed when you, when you first asked me about what a medical sociologist does. Um, you know, there is a difference between being an MD and being an epidemiologist. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's focusing on individuals and uh, somebody's individual risk looks very different than looking at population-based health, thinking in these large numbers about how, say, infectious illnesses or chronic illnesses or whatever, how those vary within the population as a whole. And I think um, it's wonderful that the mayor of Omaha has that medical background, and that Dr. Rahner does it well. It sounds like, um, but there is a whole <laughs> study of uh, population health, and and I think that um, it really is important for for infectious disease and understanding the spread of infectious disease like COVID nineteen. Yeah.
0: So oh, so I'm just kind of looking at a Wikipedia article about Gene Stothert, and. <laughs> husband is a trauma physician at UNMC Hmm. like I just expected Omaha the mayor of Omaha to make poor decisions based on uh, my interactions with her and gun policy and I was really surprised to see she was making a lot of seemingly good decisions about Mm -hmm. Omaha uh, with this pandemic and anyway so that probably explains a lot
3: I mean, COVID nineteen should not be a partisan issue. Uh, my agree, right? Is an ER nurse, and uh, we don't always agree on politics, like most people in different families. But um, it's it shouldn't be a partisan issue, and unfortunately, in this hyper-partisan era, it has, it has, uh, it has been. I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: well, what do you think's going on in Nebraska, Trish? So you wrote the coronavirus fairy tale um, very early on. What has happened between when you published that and now? Like, what are you seeing? What What are the trends? What's going on in our state from your perspective as an actual uh, expert in this field?
3: Well, you know, since that time, I think what was alarming to me at the time was the lack of testing and the fact that we really didn't know. Um, and I, I still see this slip up in the in in the newspapers. You know, they talk about how many cases we have. Those are confirmed cases. Um, not everyone has been able to access a test. And so those are only just a sliver of actual COVID-19 cases that, mm-hmm. are, that are in the state of Nebraska. And so we have, have to realize that even if everyone was tested, it's there's going to be some measurement error. Um, unfortunately, not everyone can get tested. And um, But what has changed is testing uh, has gone up. Um, not only is testing becoming more of available. Um, We're seeing it in more communities and the rate of testing has gone up. So more people have access. At first it was very limited. Uh, You had to be a frontline worker um, Mm -hmm. or be very ill. And so uh, that rate of testing has gone up and that's been really um, good to see. I I was hoping for it to go a little bit more quickly, but um, you know, we all were.
0: (laughs) Do you think like, so we know we're probably, missing people who are COVID positive. Do you think that is evenly spread across the state? Or do you think there are some places in the state that are doing better than others when it comes to testing?
3: Um, I think that there are some places doing better than others. I think that um, there was another seeing red blog uh, that I contributed to uh, called the COVID-19 Whack-A-Mole. Um, I think we're a little behind the game, behind like we're we're being reactive instead of proactive. So you'll even see that in news articles today, where it's like they decide to cancel it in my hometown of North Platte, Nebraska. They were going to have testing; they had a bunch of people signed up, and they said, "No, no, no, we're no longer doing that this Saturday." Instead, that it's going to be in Lexington because that's the hotter. That's a hot. (laughs) Hopefully, it'll come back to North Platte next week. So I still feel like we're we're behind and we're we're sort of running around trying to catch trying to catch up. Um, And so it definitely matters where you are in Nebraska, whether testing is available to you. And that's unfortunate.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I, this is something that um, we've talked about at Seeing Red before of the rural part of the state being completely and totally unimportant to the state as a whole. Um, And in part, because we have rural legislators who are actively working against the best interests of their state. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. do, you, do you think that's what's happening here? I think it you know it depends. Um there is a there's a huge
3: difference between urban and rural Nebraska there just is because I I'm, I'm from rural Nebraska. Um and you know just as an example, Kimball Nebraska had um was a hot spot a few weeks ago and I really thought that the public health communication about that was really good in the sense that The thing about these small communities is when it hits a small community, it's very different than in Lincoln because there's only one grocery store, maybe, or there's only a couple of gas stations. Mm -hmm. The family ties, the social connections there are more broad and they also might feel a little insulated from what's going on because they haven't heard the case. And so it can spread there very rapidly. And we saw that happen in Kimball. And they, again, I felt like it was reactive, but they went in there pretty quick. And and I think the public health messaging was really good about that, pointing that out, that in, in rural areas, it might not have hit like my my family's hometown of Stapleton, Nebraska yet, but if it were to, it could pass through that community much more rapidly than, you know, Lincoln or maybe Grand Island. Uh, maybe that wasn't the best example, but uh, yeah, hopefully you understand what I, my, my point was there.
1: Yeah. So I think that's kind of it. A- good segue that communication isn't always great as we were just talking, you know, the governor's communication is not, is in direct contrast with say the director of public health for Douglas County.
3: The experts mm-hmm. is
1: in direct the contrast with all the experts are asking the, the public to do different things than the governor. That's not great. So what are in your opinion, you know, and what you've seen and with the models and all of that, what are the right things that are happening in Nebraska?
3: Well, I mean, like I said, I think Kimball was a good example. I think, um, What did they do well? Well, they took the national guard in there. It was one of the first rural areas and towns where they did in really quickly. And then what they do is they go in and then test as many people as possible. And then they do that contact tracing. So who have these people been in contact with? And then they also try and limit who has been, t- who is tested positive, who, you know, they quarantine them so that they don't have further contact with other people and, and put them at risk. And so, um, um, you know, I think that's gone well. Uh, the other thing is, I think this is true nationally, is everyone sort of, I think, remembers that the models were just horrifically dying and bleak in the number of people who were, you know, reported to possibly, who, who might be, who might die or have really serious complications. And then oh yeah, those models- early models
0: were basically like, for real, you're all gonna die.
1: Mm-hmm. Better you better know, buy all out. the
0: bottled water all the toilet paper, buy it all, or you're going to die.
3: It was crazy. Well, I mean, we were looking at if, you know, 30% of the population got, we would have just been able to just run through the population. We've done no social distancing in the models that I was looking at and running. I mean, it was, we were going to lose a million people by this summer Mm -hmm. about a 1% uh, case fatality rate. And that is, a staggering, staggering number. It it would have touched every single one of our lives in a short period of time. And it was terrifying. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but we saw those models change rapidly, rapidly. And it was because people listened. People cared about their community.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, They cared about the vulnerable people. They know they were worried about their own health. And they... Did what the experts said even if the message was a little scary or the messaging wasn't always on point or everybody wasn't always on the same page, and people stayed home and they reduced the number of contacts they had with people in their networks, and it made a huge difference in those. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's been working, and it's uh, really heartening, I think, to see that people were willing to sacrifice a lot of things. Like my my son, my stepson, had a birthday did not have a party. And it wasn't an argument about it. (laughs) We just knew we couldn't, you know, and so many people sacrificed so many things and it worked.
0: I have been, I mean, I kind of run eternally optimistic anyway, but I really was pessimistic. And I thought we have a really strong anti-science trend happening in this country and an anti-government trend and an anti-community spirit trend. And I was just, I was really dubious even though I am usually an optimist that people were going to do the right things and my like cynical heart has like like the grinch it's grown five sizes mm. because <laughs> I feel like no matter the political stripe it seems like most people have been doing the right thing most of the time and it's just so encouraging to see that we all can come together as a community and around the country, we really can come together. You know, I don't wanna to paint too you know, fancy of a picture of it, but um, I just didn't think we could do that anymore in this country. I thought maybe things had kind of gone too far, but uh, I just was happy to see that.
3: I, I think what's sometimes hard to think about is, again, this population health thing, like averages and understanding statistics in a really large scale, is what we needed to have happen is to, lower on average, the mean number of people that people come in contact with on a daily basis. Right. Um, We needed to take that number down at the population level. And at the individual level, some of us could do that more than others because if you're an essential worker, you don't have the privilege to really limit how many people you come into contact with each day. Where like for someone like me, I was really able to scale back a lot And I was really lucky to be able to do that. And so I often, so it wasn't about everyone having to do the same thing. It's about some of us can do more in in physical distancing from our social connections. And some people didn't have that option, but if we all pitched in and did what we could, what we would see is on average, that mean number of contacts going down. And in that sense, we would see the, the rate of COVID being spread lowered. and that's what we saw. So people sacrificed a lot and there were a lot of people who their sacrifice wasn't like me where they just house for like 2 weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. They their sacrifice was they were taking the burden of having to be out there and be essential workers and make sure people had food and essential services and and in a way I thought that I was doing my part to help save them. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So it really is that sense of social obligation and it was inspiring, I think.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, I've had two weddings that have been postponed until next year. I mean, I know like funerals are not happening. Like it is, I mean, I'm just really surprised that people have really given up a lot of things that make us human (laughs) coming together in community for milestones in life. We're not, we're giving that up for the greater good. And I just think that's really important. And also the people that I'm really worried about are not so much the individuals because I think individually we're all, doing what we can do, and I think everyone, almost everyone surely, is doing everything they can. I'm more worried about people like the owner of Nebraska Crossing, who puts other people's lives in jeopardy for their own profit. So like this employer owner class, so like the meatpacking owners and stuff like that. Like the people working will do, I know, like we have all this evidence that people will do what they can do. For the community but it's these employers who are not god it just it's so
2: it's i I know what it is my heart i know what the problem is late stage capitalism (laughs)
3: Mm.
2: Mm.
3: you know there are studies that show wealthier people actually are the least ethical and they give the lowest proportion of their income or their wealth or whatever Mm -hmm. to people in need and so um and in a sense they're i guess i would call it it's like almost anything but the freeloader problem. So there were people who could have social distance more, who had the privilege to be able to do it, um, but they want everyone else to sacrifice so that they can, you know, get their haircut or so they can keep their shop open and then keep hoarding that wealth. So, and it's 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 enraging.
0: <laughs> I gotta say there is something, to, there's something about that. Like, um, would you call it for the the wealth class? Um they're this grugism. I used to work at Anthony's Steakhouse. It's that big steakhouse off of I-80, the 72nd street exit. And there's a huge cow on the building. I used to waitress there <laughs> uh, like a lifetime ago. And I thought I was going to make so much money. And the people who tipped the worst were the ones having corporate lunches using their corporate company credit cards to pay for lunch. I was like, that's not even your money. Why are, I don't understand. You are, un, you, you're under tipping. Like that was normally what was happening was an under tip. And then, you know, people out, just regular people out for a celebratory dinner, you know, they would be very generous in their um, tipping. And when you only make $2 an hour, it's not generosity that they're paying you, right? They're actually mm-hmm. like making it, whether or not you can pay your rent is mm-hmm. based on their generosity. So it's really... It's a form of it was really horrible when you would be underpaid. Also, like twenty years later, minimum wage for waitresses and waiters, same, still,
2: same. still two dollars. Yeah. It is. It is literally the same as when I was a waitress twenty years ago. That's yeah, insane. yeah, exactly the same. That's
3: mind
0: blowing. Oh, no,
2: it's, it's horrible. Well,
3: and there there was uh, some reports that, like, on Fox News, for example, that while we were seeing, um, you know, people sort of. Uh, downplaying the how bad it was or you know saying it was just like the flu, which COVID-19 is absolutely not like the flu no um, as a virus at all. Um but at the same time internally if <laughs> you saw what you know the people who own Fox News were doing and saying and telling people in their own groups, they were following expert advice. And so uh it's it's not just freeloading it's it's just cruel mm-hmm. to those essential workers and it's
2: very dangerous for
3: everyone right it's, it's for all of us when um the more people that are out the more danger there is for everyone mm-hmm. so
0: yeah absolutely
1: I think that's actually a really good segue to our next question <laughs> the more people that are out everyone's getting antsy Mm -hmm. it's beautiful weather it's spring people have been home for weeks and you know I mean maybe we went home early maybe we uh, quarantined Mm -hmm. early but it's hard to know what would have happened after spring breaks and all of that had we not but um what's the most important things for us to keep doing since people are getting antsy we're feeling worn out
3: I mean I, I feel that way personally I'm I'm really but I think we all knew that there was a window that people could maintain this really radical level of buying, you know, groceries and staying in their homes and different things at the same time, you know, you look at San Francisco and they're still it's pretty radical there and I have a colleague there and and that she's been doing it for a lot longer than most of us and they're going to keep doing it all through May until June. So we're getting antsy. Other places are still asking people to sacrifice that same amount. You know, what are the things that people can still can do, I think, continue to reduce the number of contacts that you come into physical contact with. Keep your social connections as much as you can. These are buffers, right? Um, There are health risks to being disconnected and isolated and lonely, major health risks. We know that. And so we, we know that we all need to be and feel connected to our community and to our family and to our friends for our well-being. Uh, mentally and, and our and our physical well-being too, but you know every single day you have to make a decision. Do I need to do this? Can I cut down? Maybe what I would have done a year ago. Can I? Can I? Can it look different now than what it might have been? And so. That's tough to do, though, and that's not a very clear public health message, is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I even struggle with it, to be honest. Like, what is the pu- public health message we can tell people? Because people don't always think in the in laws of averages and statistics, and and what? How many average contacts did you have one year ago in May? Can you reduce that by a quarter? <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So- don't think that way.
2: One question I I read on the news that the state of Nebraska has hired a um, thousand people to uh, keep track of contacts. I'm assuming with folks that are testing positive. What are your thoughts on that? Is it that?
3: I, I'm really I, I'm excited about it because first of all, it doesn't look like we have contracted with a private corporation to pay the millions of dollars to do something that they're not experts in. And <laughs> Our tax dollars to paint on experts. <laughs> so I was very happy to read that article because they're hiring people in public health to do it. I think I read school nurses, for example, who are sitting idle and can easily do some of that contact tracing and it will be vital. So we all had to do our part, right? Before we had testing because we didn't know who had it. Nobody knows. With more testing, we can really start to isolate pockets and we can see when they flare up or when they, hopefully we start to you know uh, flatten the curve in different communities locally. And we have to have testing to do that. So that's step one. And then step two is once we know that, we have to be able to alert people and to isolate those pockets of mm-hmm. to people and so we have to have that infrastructure to do it and we didn't have it we used to and then they were like we had a pandemic response team at the national level everybody in the public health community knew this was a risk and was going to happen um, i've been waiting for this for years but it's happened and it was just sad that we weren't prepared now we've had to have we've had to ask everyone to sacrifice so we can catch up get the ventilators get the tests I don't know if we've done as good of a job of that as I wished in the last six weeks. I wish we could have really come together even more. But it's going to be so important to continue testing as many people as possible and then to be hiring people and really tracking down cases and isolating pockets. And that way we don't all have to sacrifice in that same way. We can wait until you know we know where one of those hotspots, for example, and then uh, like Grand Island, for example, they definitely need to probably stay on lockdown and should have a stay-at-home order. Honestly, the whole state of Nebraska should have, but because we're currently yeah. <laughs> still surging in several places.
1: It's obviously Grand Island is surging, Lincoln and Omaha are surging er, Lexington, right now. Madison. And Creek. The, even though it's May four third, and the or direct health measures are expiring,
3: I I, I worry, and I worried at the time, and it's a hard call to make. I, I'm not judging their public health officials who who weren't sure, like Lincoln Public Schools, or who I think, um, or UNL, I think that they've been really proactive. But I do wonder if maybe we didn't shut down a week or two early, given the fact that we are the middle of the country. Did you think so too, Stephanie? No,
2: no I actually am going to say, I think we shut down at the right time because a lot of our initial cases in Nebraska came from people spring breaking in Colorado. And that would have been a huge problem in those schools if people had been exposing I mean thousands of kids touching things all over the place at the university and I know one of the initial one of the earliest cases was a father who took his son and some other kids to Colorado and if that kid those kids had went the one that tested positive and went back to his high school I don't even can't imagine what kind of a mess we would have had so I think that we shut down at the right time like I I did not- we didn't of to make this call. Thank God.
3: They, yeah, I, you know, thank I didn't have to make that call. That's a tough call to make. Our leaders, we elected them to make those calls and we can all quarterback in 2020 hindsight them. You know, I, I, I do wonder if UNL might've had another week because we had, we let out two weeks before spring break. We had a late spring break. I knew we didn't want kids coming back from spring break, but we also had to let professors get ready to teach online. So, you know, coulda, woulda, have should I was worried about this fatigue setting in, however, and mm-hmm. I knew that so many people couldn't keep this up for so long. And I also knew not having a large airport in our state, for example, I know people go to Colorado, and Colorado was immediately a hot spot. I was super scared about the, the uh, ski resorts.
0: You know, um, I would say if we would have had national leadership happening very early <laughs> i know i know if we could have had some national what does that look like well, i think it would have even it would anymore. have looked like saying you know what we're shutting down the places of congregation in march and at the end of february and then mm-hmm. nebraska wouldn't have been like oh people just spring breaked. like if we could have shut down spring breaks for example then maybe we wouldn't have had to have such a long time in quarantine in Nebraska, right? If we would have given good public health advice, people could have canceled those trips and they wouldn't have taken them. So like, I think Stephanie's yeah, I example know. is really astute, but if we could have just I prevented agree. that guy from going in the first place, right. we could have all not had to shut down as soon as we there were people but
2: still leaving for cruises <laughs> in early in right. March yes. and I was like while well, people <laughs> while people in other places were trapped on cruise ships that were giant petri dishes of COVID it right it was mind-boggling right and because really of the lack of national
1: leadership like you said like I had friends who had spent thousands of dollars on a an international trip and they could not get their money back because uh-huh. there was no so they went it well, was spring nobody break told
3: them. Nobody, nobody said they not- can't if they don't know, they're not experts in this. Right. No. Understand. So you're like, I don't know. Do I cancel
1: thousands of dollars on a risk? I don't fully understand because Mm -hmm. no one's explaining it.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's wrap up this episode of the pod. Trish, do you have any final thoughts that you would like inspiring thoughts, thoughts of warning, final, (laughs) final words? Oh my gosh. Uh the pressure, the pressure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Uplifting you don't have, to have any. <laughs> I felt like Cassandra this whole time. <laughs> like I got into the world, you know, just we're not through this yet. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but you have to do what you can do in your own life, what you're able to, what you have access to to continue to limit Your physical contact with other people, as much as we still have a lot of work to do. We know that there will be a resurgence in the fall. Nebraska has not reached its peak at all. Mm -mm. It's really more dangerous for individuals right now than it was two weeks ago. And we're very differently. And so I know everyone's getting fatigued, but just try hardest and, and, and keep it up and be vigilant and continue to follow as many practices as you can to stay safe and to keep the most vulnerable people in our society safe. Because it might not be you who's hit hard by COVID, but you can protect other people who will be hit hard. And so we have to come together for them. We have to continue to keep coming together.
2: I I always say that I have the last few weeks that you have to treat um, your decisions that you make surrounding covid and what you're doing outside of your home the same way as you treat voting you need to vote in the best interest and in those most vulnerable around you yeah
0: voting day is may 12th everybody better have sent in their mail-in ballots get Mail it in. and if you do vote speaking of voting if you do vote um in person if you did not get your mail-in ballot Double check your polling place because if they are in places of health, like a rehab center, they mm-hmm. may have moved your polling place. So just yep. everyone, or a retirement tight.
1: home like mine.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully you all are doing mail-in ballots, but if you're not, wear a mask and double check your polling location. Trish, what are you reading? What should we be uh, following along in Quarantine Land as we're all home sitting in our hammocks?
3: Well, I just look at the number of new cases every day on the DHS, but I'm a data, nerd. I'm, a data nerd. I'm actually- We don't this. want to read that. that. No, we're not. You, <laughs> you read know. it. That's it's, your, it's you're scientist.
0: Day. No, thank you. Know. you. <laughs>
3: um, I'm reading this really wonderful book called The Human Network, and uh, it was recommended by The New York Times. It's really accessible, wonderful communication. It's about how we're all connected. And it talks about all sorts of things, not just infectious diseases, but how we can support one another, but also just makes you think about how things like supply chains and how we're connected in those ways matter. And um, of course, it does talk a little bit about infectious disease, but it's a great book. So I highly recommend
0: it. Is that by Matthew Jackson?
3: I'm not
2: sure. It's orange.
0: (laughs) We'll look it up for the show notes. Everybody check the show notes. We'll put it
2: in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Show notes. Thank you for those.
0: All right. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you for coming for on the pod, me. Trish. <laughs> Thanks. <Okay>. Anytime. We, <laughs> we will definitely invite you again because you're brilliant and we love you.
2: And and because COVID nineteen is not over, so
0: God, mm-hmm. I wish I, I wish
1: some
3: more insight. You didn't need to have me back on to talk about it, but I'd be happy to. You guys and yeah. I'm so glad you're back podcasting again. I love you all. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne, on Facebook at seeingrednebraska, or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com. You can find this pod on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher.